We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're talking the 2020 class of rookie running backs on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you this week by the Action Network. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by Matthew Friedman of the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Before we get into talking about rookie running backs, Matt, let's quickly regroup on where the playoffs are. As everybody knows, we are down to the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC, the Packers and the Buccaneers in the NFC. I think, you know, it's pretty safe to say, Matt, that there are going to be a lot of compelling narratives for these conference championship games for the media to talk about. What do you think about the, these final three games that we have headed our way? Uh, I think they're going to be pretty good matchups. Unfortunately, you know, as we're recording, we don't know what's going on with Patrick Mahomes. He's dealing with the, the toe injury and then, of course, the concussion. So, uh, you know, right now, um, I think that uh, it's you know, obviously highly uncertain that he plays. And if you looked at the betting market, I think the market is almost assuming that Mahomes and all of the other injured Chiefs play. You know, Sammy Watkins was out. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was out. Bashad Breeland, um, you know, number one cornerback, suffered an injury last week. Uh, I think the line right now that you see in the market of Chiefs minus three, minus three and a half is kind of assuming that Mahomes and most of those guys play. And I don't know if you could make that assumption. So, you know, just kind of early analysis. I think there's probably some value betting on the bills and then looking at the Packers and bucks. Um, I'm on an Island on this one at the action network, but I think uh, the the better side is to bet on the Packers. Uh, most of the other, you know, I say, I shouldn't say other sharp betters, but most of the sharp betters, I, I know, because I, I really shouldn't include myself in that group. They, they are on the Bucks, uh, but I think the home field advantage at Lambeau Field is still pretty significant. So uh, I like the Packers at the number that you see right now of Packers minus three, minus three and a half. Got it. If you had to assign a probability to the possibility of the Bucks winning, where would you set it at? Like if they played this game a hundred times, how many times do you think the Bucks win? Like four, four and a half. I mean, it's it's close, and I think it's close with all of these games. So wait, were you saying were you doing that out of ten, or were you doing that out of a hundred? Out of ten. Okay, out of ten. Okay, okay. So four, four and a half out of ten. Got it. All yeah. right. Um, I thought that uh, there was a couple of performances that were worth us just taking a couple minutes to talk about. So we saw DK Metcalf in that Seahawks Rams game 
finally managed to put together a compelling game against the Rams. Um, you know, finally got to the end zone, was able to work against Jalen Ramsey. That stood out to me. Uh, Marquise Brown put up a good game against the Titans. We saw him starting to get involved. And then Juju Smith-Schuster's final game, potentially as a Steeler, came in a wild one against Cleveland. Uh, but that was somewhat encouraging. Wanted to check in, though, and see if there was anything that really stood out to you from these games that we've seen so far in the playoffs. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the wide receivers. Uh, yeah, we certainly saw some good performances from them. Uh, we, we're going to talk, obviously, about the rookie running backs. Uh, Cam Akers, I thought he has looked good in his uh, his playoff stretch run here. Uh, so certainly encouraging to see what he's done. Um, but yeah, it's been nice to see uh, a lot of these younger guys emerge. And uh, of course, you know, Brady, like I, I've been impressed, like even though he hasn't been you know perfect, like I've been impressed with the Buccaneers and with that offense in general and what we've seen out of Brady since I think it was like a week 11 game against the Saints where uh, the Bucs were just annihilated since then. They've actually been pretty good, and uh, I mean Brady just continues even at the age of forty-three to uh, you know look like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and that's it continued into the playoffs. Yeah, well, it certainly was crazy um, having that matchup with Brady and Breeze both in it. Will we see Drew's, Drew Brees back remains to be a question, but I mean it was kind of telling um, to some extent when they had to turn towards Jameis Winston to get that long passing touchdown. Um, of course, Taysom Hill was out. Uh, so we'll definitely see what develops there. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard not to be impressed with what Brady has managed to do um, as the team headed into the playoffs. And, you know, just another thing that he has on that list of achievements now making his way to an NFC championship game. I know NFC championship game. It sounds so weird. <laughs> it certainly does. All right, Matt, though. Um Unless there's anything else, I think we can jump in and start regrouping on some of these rookie running backs. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so I've pulled together some high-level notes on this class. Not as impressive as the wide receivers that we talked about with Sam Wallace last week. Um, Two players in the top 25 of total points if we go back to 2000 and removing players that only managed three games or less five in the top 50 of course Dobbins was at 52 and that's in total points we go to points per game two of the top 25 from the last 21 seasons in terms of rookie year running backs and then five of the top 50 Robinson James Robinson finished 11th in points per game among all rookie running backs in the last 21 seasons. Jonathan Taylor, 16th. Interestingly enough, if you flip things and you look at total points, Taylor ranks 11th, Robinson at 16th. Also notable, Antonio Gibson at 31st. And then in terms of looking at just specific stats, Jonathan Taylor, 18th in rush yards, tied for 7th in... um, rushing touchdowns 34th in receiving yards which is really interesting and then 16th in total yards i know that we've talked about jonathan taylor a bunch matt so we'll just start there um why don't you give us the super quick summary of where we stand now that we've seen the regular season and a pretty decent playoff game from him um fantastic player he should be i think a first round pick <laughs> i mean maybe that's a little bit too high but second round at the latest but i i think he's definitely in the running to be you know at the end of the first round for sure and i think that a fairer question that people could raise is there is a level of uncertainty at the quarterback position to which i would say don't be confused yes it was philip rivers but let's not make this narrative that Philip Rivers is this fantastic quarterback that helped in some way to propel Jonathan Taylor to where he was. Perhaps his propensity to check down gave him a little bit more work as a receiver than we might have otherwise seen, but you also saw Naheem Hines getting involved, and as we talked about, it's possible that he kind of gets phased out and the team realizes they need to make more of a priority to use Taylor. So I myself am not completely concerned about how this team addresses the quarterback situation and it's also possible that they're able to bring in somebody that's largely equivalent to rivers if not better yeah i I think that's absolutely right okay all right 
So then we can just get right into your boy, Matt. Uh, Cam Akers came on really strong down the stretch. Great in the playoffs. 131 and a touchdown. Oh, that's funny. I wrote against the Rams, against the Seahawks. Two wrecks, 45 yards, 90 yards and a touchdown against Green Bay. Is he officially your second player of this group of running backs as we move into next season? And let's just keep it just to next season, not so more like redraft for 2021 versus dynasty. Uh, it's, it's tough because I think that, uh, Antonio Gibson, uh, you mentioned him earlier, but you know, kind of moved over him. Um, I think he's in the running because I was, you know, impressed with obviously what he did in college, uh, and then Gibson as a, a prospect with his athleticism and then what he did in a rookie year where, uh, a lot was, you know, wrong with the Washington football team, but he was still able to be productive. And I think next year, even though he had, you know, 44 targets in 14 games, which is, you know, like sort of middle of the road, uh, I think we should expect more from him next year. And I'd say also more from him as a runner and more from that offense as a whole. But, you know, even just him on his own in 14 games, he had, you know, a thousand scrimmage yards and 11 touchdowns. Like that's, that's pretty good. So, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm enthusiastic about him. And I think it's between acres or Gibson to be the, the number two back, um, in this class off the board. I mean, okay, let me, <laughs> let me step all of this back. Yeah. Like the massive asterisk is, you know, like James Robinson, because we just do not know yet what is going to happen with that offense, the coaching staff, how they're going to view him, uh, whether <clears throat> Sorry about that. Whether they sign a veteran, uh, whether they draft a player, you know, so if it looks like Robinson is the starter heading into the season, then I think Robinson is probably ahead of all of these guys, you know, obviously with the exception of Jonathan Taylor. Um, but, you know, if Robinson is not the starter, then at that point, I think it's it's a toss up between Akers and Gibson. OK, so. You raised a lot of things that bring me to other questions that I had or things I wanted to explore. But since you brought up James Robinson and started talking about him, and he's a player that we have to talk about, does the signing of Urban Meyer as the head coach and the possibility of Trevor Lawrence, perhaps Justin Fields, coming in there under center, do you think that that opens up a lot of growth in the Jacksonville the Jacksonville offense that would lend itself to Robinson continuing to grow as a player? Does it make you more excited about him? Or do you think that this is something which we should view as neutral or possibly detrimental? Because you're talking about the question here of if he even is the starter. So are you thinking it's possible that Meyer comes in and wants to use a different back? Yeah, like that's that's possible. We just we do not know. Yep. It's it it's a risk because it's just an unknown. Um, but there is theoretical upside with this offense potentially being better because maybe the scheme is better and maybe the execution of it is better uh, because they have Lawrence. Um, you know, so there is theoretical upside here. That said, I kind of don't care about the theoretical upside. Like, what matters most is just like, is this guy going to get opportunities? Right. And I mean, I am actually concerned. Um, and I think more people should be about the fact that with this coaching change, you might not see as much James Robinson as you're hoping. Um, we have a lot of time to figure out how things are going to look there, but I do think it's a, it's a reason to be concerned. And Sam Wallace, um, who we already mentioned was on last week, just put up a piece about Robinson that I think you should check out. It addresses some different things that you could do with him or how you should be thinking about him as a dynasty asset right now. So when you were talking about Cam Akers, Matt, um, I think we do need to point out, as people should know by now, that backfield, it looks like he really has cemented as his own. Um, I find that very encouraging. I expect that to continue into next season. Now, I thought it was interesting that you didn't even bring up DeAndre Swift into the discussion with Akers and Gibson. Kind of give me your thought process there um, of why he doesn't even get into the discussion with them. Well, it's uh, it's a couple of things. One, uh, he wasn't at this point in the outline. <laughs> so <laughs> your fault, not mine, your fault. Uh, but number two, like, and this is, it's, it's so tilting. Like this was almost like the point of the bet. Like he does not belong in the conversation with Cam Akers. 
You know, like we are, I think at this point, we're clearly heading into the second season of these guys with Akers ahead of him. Like Akers will almost certainly have a higher ADP and he deserves to have the higher ADP. And yet, you know, just the way things work, I ended up losing a bet. And so I'm going to have to do a podcast shirtless, whatever. But it's, I mean, I think you just look at the upside that Akers exhibited whenever he was the lead back. And there are questions as to whether Swift will actually ever be a real lead back in Detroit. Like we just, we do not know how the coaching staff is going to want to use him. Uh, We don't know uh, what the scheme is going to look like. There are just, there are a lot of things unknown with Swift. Whereas with Akers, I I think much more is known in terms of the role that he's going to have uh, and the efficiency that he can have within that role. So I've, I've been much more impressed with acres, uh, especially with what we saw, uh, you know, in the last six, six weeks, seven weeks of the season, much more impressed with acres than with Swift. And like, that's not to take anything away from Swift. Who's like easily the better pass catching back. I just don't know if he's actually ever going to be the high volume guy that you, you want to have in fantasy. Got it. So for people that might be interested um, to know if Swift did have any games where he shouldered a large workload, um, in week six, he saw 18 opportunities. Week nine, 18, 21 in week 10. Also saw 20 in week 15 against Tennessee. So the volume was there, not like the level that you might expect for Akers as we move into next year. Like you said, there are some questions with the coaching staff, how the scheme will play out. Uh, on Johnson is not a unrestricted free agent just yet, does not become one until 2022. So at the very least, he will be there. Um, Adrian Peterson, though, got heavily involved. Like I'd like to make a more compelling case for Swift, but I don't think that I can make one that gets him into the conversation with Akers, at least for next season. I just don't think he should be going as high in redraft leagues. I know there was one other thing I wanted to say about DeAndre Swift, so we might have to come back to it. Um, but let's just let's pop back now to Antonio Gibson, who you who you've mentioned. Um, in comparison to James Robinson, who there's questions about, does Antonio Gibson have a stronger case for long-term success? I wrote this question down, but having now thought about it for about five seconds, I think it's so much easier to make a case for his long-term success, but I think it's still worth exploring what your opinion might be. Yeah, so there's a, a question of talent in, you know, Robinson was undrafted, but let's, you know, assume that that was a pretty big mistake. Uh, and it's it's not uncommon for uh, for teams to overlook guys who play at a lower level of college football. So I would say, uh, let's just kind of assume that Robinson and Gibson are roughly equivalent in the skill that they have. Um, I think Gibson is still maybe better suited for the NFL and that I think at his best, he can probably be a better receiver. Um, He's more athletic, you know, maybe that matters at the running back position. Maybe it doesn't, but uh, I think it's something that, that coaches like um, he's been invested with third round draft capital, which is certainly predictive. Uh, I think in terms of how he's going to be used moving forward uh, and it's the same coaching staff. Uh, and so they have familiarity with Gibson. Uh, we know how it is that they you know want to use him, or we at least have a sense of how they want to use him. Uh, and I mean, we have this obviously with Robinson and that the offense should be better uh, in Jacksonville, but I think the offense should be better in Washington. And I think we have a sense of what the competition is going to be for Gibson uh, in Washington, you know, whether it's Peyton Barber returning, uh, whether it's JD McKissick, like we have a sense of the other guys he's going to be competing with for touches. We don't really have that with Robinson. So there's more of a question mark there. So uh, I think pretty cleanly I'm leaning towards Gibson who has the stronger case for long-term success. But like all of that said, uh, Robinson was the more impressive player you know, just in terms of the production that he gave, he was the more impressive player as a rookie. And so if they head into their second seasons with, you know, Robinson as the starter and Gibson as the starter at that point, I would probably start to shift a little more towards Robinson. Like there's just the big question he has is how is he going to be used? For sure. 
You know what a crazy thing here is? Well, actually, let me bring that up in a second. Uh, but before I do that, people might be wondering um, about J.D. McKissick. He will be in Washington next year. I do think that one interesting thing to think about as we consider Gibson is the prospect of the football team bringing in another player that they can use at the wide receiver position routinely to put alongside McLaurin and Thomas because it's possible too that if they don't need to rely on McKissick so much as a receiver, we in turn see Gibson on the field more because like you've mentioned, he's you know has receiving ability in his own right, which could kind of propel him up. But what I'm realizing is... I think at, that's yeah, a good point. Okay. I, did you want to expound on that or are you good... No, I just, uh, no, I mean, you, you hit it. I, I think that's okay. a good point. That's not anything I'd really considered, but yeah, there's, there's the possibility within that offense developing that McKissick has a diminished role, which, you know, feeds into Gibson for sure. Okay. So what I had also been realizing Matt, as I look at this outline, I didn't even include Clyde Edwards Lair anywhere on it in actually calling out his name. Now, some of that might be because he was unavailable in the playoffs, but it's also pretty nuts that this player that after week one looked like he was on this trajectory to the moon isn't even making his way into my mind when I start working on an outline about rookie running backs. So as a lot of people listening to this might remember, it was impossible not to get super amped up about him in week one, scored a touchdown, had 138 rushing yards. There was this question, though, about what was going on as far as a receiver. Had just two targets in that game, then went with eight targets in the next game, but only had one more game. Um, actually, only had two more games where he had more than five targets after that. Ends up finishing as the RB22 from a PPR perspective in 2020, which obviously is not a complete failure, but given the expectations really disappointing for so many people out there that thought that they were going to have, you know, like an all-time rookie running back performance from this guy, and it just didn't materialize. Let's consider Edwards Alaire in comparison to this class and what you do with him if you are somebody that owns him in Dynasty. I think if you have him in Dynasty, you hold. And uh, honestly, he's he's someone I'm going to be targeting next year. Because I don't think his year was quite as bad as people think. And I think he's likely to be better this upcoming season. You know, in 13 games, he had 54 targets. That's actually still pretty good. That's, um, you know, that's like right there with uh, DeAndre Swift. Um, you know, and I know like it, it's different than that Swift was in a part-time role. But if you're thinking Swift is going to take a step forward, I think you also probably think the same thing with Edwards Alaire, you know, like in his second year, uh, probably used as a more complete back, you know, based on what he did at LSU. We know he has receiving capability. I don't think Le'Veon Bell is going to be there next year. Um, I don't know. Like I'm still, I'm still pretty interested in him in a, a season that I don't think actually could have gone much worse. He still had 1100 yards from scrimmage in 13 games. Um, he's still, I think, slated to be the lead back in probably the best offense in the league. If it's not the best offense, it's it's top three for sure. Uh, he should still have you know plenty of touchdown opportunities coming his way. Um, I don't know, man. I think he's going to be pretty undervalued. Um, like he's someone I'm already kind of circling as like, I, I want this guy and, you know, I'm going to need to do more research to think about where it is that he's likely to slot in, but like wherever it is, I think he's going to be undervalued. Like he's certainly not going in round one. He, he might not even go in round two, right? If he's going in round three, like I, I want him a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I think that when you actually start to think about players as we move into next season, it makes sense to not have a knee-jerk reaction given the fact that he still finished um, in total points, third out of this class, only played in 13 games. And like you said, he's playing in this offense that we know can support fantasy players. We did have him see some level of success, and it doesn't look like there is going to be significant competition. We already saw him 
have to split some time with Le'Veon Bell. But given the draft capital that we saw them invest into him last season, the odds that they bring in anybody that's going to limit his opportunities more than we've already seen, I feel that's such a slim possibility that he just needs a couple more things to break his way to easily justify the ADP where I think he's going to go right now. And I think when you start to look at backs next year, there's going to be very few that don't have a lot of question marks with them. And for Edwards Lair, the biggest question mark is probably just going to be, can he manage to string together whatever you want to call it, better luck next year, a couple of better situations. So I don't think I'd be looking away from him entirely. You do have to which is going to be baked into the ADP, reduce your expectations a little bit. But So I just uh, put him into the Rotoviz screener. We're going to take a look here at his comps from his rookie season. The first one is LaShawn McCoy, which is hilarious because it goes back yeah. to before he had even touched the field, right after the draft, everybody was talking about could he come in and be one of these Andy Reid type of back. So it's really funny that we see McCoy pop up the first name. Then you do have guys like TJ Yeldon, Ronnie Brown, Devontae Booker, Brandon Oliver, Joe Mixon, Andre Ellington, Roy Hillou, Kevin Smith, Selvin Young, Devin Singletary. Um, I'm not dissuaded by many of those names. Right. Um, you know, and like I think you just kind of have to ask yourself this question. Like, did he do enough this year to make you think that um, he warrants a, you know, let's say like two round or three round drop in ADP from last year to this year when I think it's fairly reasonable to expect that he's going to have more than the 181 carries he had last year and probably more than the 54 targets he had last year. So like if you think he's going to have something of a boost in volume and he's also dropping in ADP, and then, of course, like there, there's the situation around him of being in that offense. Like this just seems like a smash. Well, you know, the other thing, too, that I hadn't even mentioned yet was he actually did rank 15th among running backs in expected points per game. Of course, that number might be a little bit inflated because of some struggles at the goal line. We saw um, Williams yeah. punch one in. You know, the one thing that has just occurred to me, Matt. Damian Williams, we probably need to think about. And I actually have not checked, so we're doing this live right now of whether or yeah, not he he will be back. He will be back. Well, you know, actually I say that as if I know what the hell I'm talking about. No, he um, will. He will. Not he, a, not an unrestricted free agent until 2022. Yeah. So uh th- if he had played this year, I believe this would have been his last year on the contract. Okay. Um but because he uh, opted out with COVID, I think his contract extended another year. Got so it. yeah, he, he has one more year left. Um, so like that is something to think about. That said, like Damian Williams, um, like I like him. He's been good whenever he has been the lead back, but he's never really been the lead back for a significant stretch of time. And he skipped his 28-year-old season. He's going to be 29 years old yeah. uh, entering the season. Um, I think it's pretty easy to think of him as the number two back. Okay. You've, you've convinced me there. So I think that where we're going to leave things on Edwards lair here is that as we're looking forward, it feels like there's room for growth and there's probably not as much room for um, things to slip in a worse direction for him compared to some of these other guys. You think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, perfect. So we are going to step away here for a quick word from our sponsors, and then we will be right back. Listen, folks, the Super Bowl is coming up, and sure, we'll all be watching the game, but the best way to celebrate the biggest day in football is to bet on the game. And we want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors, the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, 
Their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting, and with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network Pro sub, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game across all the professional leagues. You can see money and bet on percentages on every game, so you can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of the Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code ROTOVIZ. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use the promo code ROTOVIZ to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, Matt. Um, nice little uh, ad there um, for. Uh, yeah, that, that wasn't at all weird listening <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about some backs that we haven't talked about yet. Um, if we're thinking about the backs with the most room for growth, I'm thinking that we've made a case for AJ Dillon throughout the season. I think that still holds. Um, it's probably harder to tell a story for anyone else. Then Dylan, I think that some people might want to make a case for J.K. Dobbins. I'm not buying that, so we can talk about him in a minute, unless you have a name other than A.J. Dylan to float out there for a player that has the most room for growth. No, I mean, um, I was really bullish on A.J. Dylan entering the season. That didn't work out, but you know, we saw in week 16 uh, what he could do when actually given opportunities. Um, you know, when he's gotten opportunities, I think he's looked pretty good. I mean, I don't want to say like Derrick Henry-esque, but you know, he's he has certainly flashed the combination of size and athleticism that we saw exhibited in his combine performance. Like we've seen that translate to the football field in limited action. So we have Aaron Jones as a free agent next year, Jamal Williams as a free agent. I think the odds are good that at least one of them does not return, but probably, I mean, both of them, like I could see both of them leaving. Like that's that's the point of drafting A.J. Dillon in the second round last year so that he can be ready to be the lead back this upcoming season when two guys ahead of him leave. So A.J. Dillon certainly has a lot of a lot of upside. That said, if Aaron Jones comes back or if Jamal Williams comes back, I think I go with J.K. Dobbins uh, over A.J. Dillon. But, okay. you know, right now I'm, I'm assuming that Dillon – has a pretty good chance of entering the year as the lead back. Okay, that's perfectly fair. And I also think it's worth noting that uh, Green Bay did use all three of these guys in the playoff game um, over the weekend. And while Dylan didn't see a tremendous amount of work, I think it was encouraging that we already saw him starting to get mixed in. To the Ravens, yeah, Matt. Although he, he did fumble. He did fumble, which was painful. Uh, like, he fumbled. Aaron Rodgers recovered the fumble. And then uh, Dylan was on the sideline for the rest of the game. So, like, not to say that that's going to, like, determine his future. But, like, he is still very green. Okay, that's perfectly fair. Good thing is he has a whole, you know, however many months it's going to be until... Who knows what training camp is going to look like in the coming year. He has a long time yeah. for, th- for that to wash off. And who knows? Maybe by the end of this season, he manages to do that. But let's turn our attention towards the Ravens. Mark Ingram, an unrestricted free agent after 2021. Gus Edwards is a restricted free agent in 2021. Justice Hill is there. Hasn't been a back of consequence, unfortunately, um, to this point in his career I do have some concerns about Dobbins and they come back to the idea that you already have Lamar Jackson there taking away some opportunity, some rushing opportunity. And then Gus Edwards and JK Dobbins had nearly identical usage the entire course of this year. I think Dobbins has looked better at points, but Gus Edwards has been productive as well. So to me, of the backs that people might be inclined to draft early in 2021, I really have concerns about Dobbins getting enough work 
to be able to justify a return on the investment. Of course, if Gus, if Gus Edwards doesn't return, maybe it's easier to make the case. But um, it sounds like you might be a little more bullish than I am. Well, if okay, so Mark Ingram, I'm assuming that he's gone. That okay. like they're going to cut him. Um, I think they end up saving a little bit of cap space if they cut him. So I'm assuming he's out. Edwards is harder to determine um, because he was undrafted, and so as you said, you know, restricted free agent. We don't know for sure what they're going to do with him. Like I think they they organizationally like him. You know, like I think they would like to keep him if they could. Um, but he feels. He feels a little like Chris Ivory esque, like um, a guy who's, you know, kind of been stuck behind other players at the beginning of his career, but has been super efficient. And then at some point, like he gets a chance to leave and maybe he becomes a lead back on another team. Like I, I think there's a decent chance that he's gone after this year. So if that's the case, I mean, it's Dobbins and then it's Justice Hill and it's whoever else they add. But you really could see a situation in which it's just Dobbins as the lead back with no Edwards and no Ingram. And if that's the case, I mean, he could, I mean, he could have like 1500 yards because like he does have the explosion and he, uh, you know, he could have the volume and it's a really like prolific running offense. So I don't know. Um, But that said, like, I do think there's a chance he's overdrafted because, you know, maybe Edwards stays. Right. And it's also possible that with the way Baltimore operates, we just don't see him getting to the high levels of opportunity that you might see from other backs. Having said that, he did score a touchdown in week 11, week 13, week 14, 15, 16, and then two in week 17. And they had a bye in week 12. So he closed the regular season with an abundance of touchdowns. One knock that you could have on Dobbins, and some of this is going to depend on where his ADP falls out, is he has not been heavily used as a receiver in the back half of the season. His highest targets in any game were two. So some of this is going to depend on where we see him going in drafts. If you had to guess, Matt, do you think that we see him going ahead of round three next year uh, although actually it's probably an impossible question to answer till we know what happens with edwards so maybe we should just scrap that yeah no i mean i could i think he's a round two or round three guy like i think there are going to be people who are so enthusiastic about the way that he closed the season that he could end up like bumped into round two um because you know from week 11 on he either had, and this is counting the playoffs, he either had a touchdown in each game, as you said, or, you know, like over 90 yards from scrimmage. So, like, there's significant upside with him. Okay, fair enough. Um, Zach Moss grades well in uh, PFF grades. He also did so in college. I don't know if that really matters for fantasy purposes. The Bills have shown that they prefer him in short-yarded situations to some degree when they're ahead. I think he'll get higher quality touches than Singletary next year. But outside of Singletary getting injured, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for him to improve or for his fantasy production to grow. Do you have a different read than me on Zach Moss? No, I I think you're right. Um, Because that Buffalo offense, they are really relying on the passing game right now. Um, So, you know, we would have to see them lean a little bit more towards the running game. We would have to see him beat out Devin Singletary, and we would probably still need to see him used a little bit more as a receiving back. Um, I'm just kind of pessimistic that we see that. Yeah, me too. You know, it started off um, in 2020, saw four targets in week one of 2020, then zero zero three in week seven, and then his highest total was two from there on out with a lot of games, just one target. So like you said... Um, this is a team that throws a lot. So even if you took Singletary out of the, out of the equation, it might even be hard to get him to 20 rushing attempts per game um, because you have to assume that even if Singletary disappeared, the 12 to 13 he's he was getting a game aren't going to all go to Zach Moss. And of course, you still have Josh Allen there potentially taking away his touchdowns at the goal line, which is where you would hope that Moss would be able to get more of his production. So I just don't think it's a situation that lends itself well for Moss. 
Keyshawn, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I mean, yep. like we could we could see what happened with Singletary when Moss was out, like this this past weekend, right? So yep. Moss was out for the entire or for the rest of the postseason with injury, and Singletary in a game that the Bills won by 14 points still had only seven carries. Like this is not a team that is committed to the running game. Yes, yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. So Keyshawn Vaughn who I really liked after the or before the draft. Then he gets drafted by the Bucks. The ADP rises up. Ended up only having one game in 2020, Matt, with more than 10 opportunities. Uh, in that game, he did manage to get more than 60 rushing yards on 15 carries. Had one reception in that game. Leonard Fournette, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Of course, Ronald Jones is there. There's limited runway for Keyshawn Vaughn at this point in his career. What do you think the odds are that we see Vaughn ever become a thing? Do you think they're non-existent, very low, low, medium, high, or very high? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm bad at coming up with odds for stuff like this, but I think he will be undervalued okay. this year. Um, so like, I think no one's going to want him. I think Fournette is gone. Maybe not. Like maybe if they win a Super Bowl, they they bring him back or something like that. But I think it's likely that Fournette is gone. Um, and Jones enters the season as the lead back. But you know, we have seen situations where uh, the number two back steals more of the carries uh, than we would want. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Jones could suffer an injury. And I think Keyshawn Vaughn is going to enter the year as the number two back. So, you know, maybe in a you know, Mike Davis type of scenario, there is legitimate value with Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, so wherever he's going, I think it's going to be pretty late. And he could be one of the guys who actually would be like a true handcuff if the guy in front of him gets injured. Because he does have, I think, the receiving ability to go along with the rushing ability. And he could be in an offense that is still pretty good next year. Yeah, so... My answer to the question the way I posed it would be in comparison to the other backs on this list that don't have locked in opportunity yet, I would say the chances that we see him become something at some point in his career, probably at a medium level. And a lot of this goes back to the idea that I did like him as a prospect coming out of school. I really felt that if he were given a chance, he was as well positioned for success as many other running backs that have come before him got in their opportunity, and managed to make something of it. So I still think that he's pretty talented, and it's just a matter of him getting that opportunity. If Fournette isn't back, it's very realistic that at some point next season, the team is going to have to use him. It's still not clear if Ronald Jones is the type of back they could give an entire workload to. Not exactly sure if Brady's going to be back next year, but with that group of receivers, I think it's still an offense that's probably going to be pretty decent. So I think that you can make a case for Keyshawn Vaughn. And like you said, that price is probably going to take a major dip. So next year might be a year to go after him. And hopefully, um, you know, people aren't drafting him too high and you can get him onto your teams kind of in the back ends and have a player there that might emerge for you. So we've hit, I believe at this point, Matt, all of the bigger names. I'm going to list off the rest of the backs here, and I'm going in order of total yards. When we come across somebody that you're interested in, just call it out, and then we can talk about them. If not, what we'll think about after I get through the list is which one of these players is the one that people really shouldn't forget about. So you have Joshua Kelly, Salvin Ahmed, LaMichael Pirine, DJ Dallas, Rodney Smith, Jermichael Hasty, Anthony McFarland, JJ Taylor, Darrington Evans, and Gabe Nabbers. Yeah. Um, Ahmed is kind of interesting, but I don't know how much of a role he's going to have in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, Joshua Kelly was really phased out in the second half of the season. So although I think he has some potential, it's probably not going to go anywhere. 
a similar situation with Michael P. Ryan. I know people were excited about the idea of him, you know, potentially being a lead back this upcoming season if things went right. You know, like if Le'Veon Bell uh, was traded or cut, uh, and you know, then maybe Frank Gore doesn't return to the Jets next year. Then that means P. Ryan's going to be the lead back. But I just don't see it happening. He never really got the opportunity to do a lot, uh, and he's just a fourth rounder. And then now there's a new coaching staff coming in, so I don't really see it with P. Ryan. Um, the guys who intrigue me the most, I would say, are Anthony McFarland. And then this one is, you know, kind of deeper, but Darrington Evans. And Ev- Evans, it's just as like a pure handcuff behind uh, Derrick Henry. Um, you know, not to say like Henry is destined to wear down at some point, but, you know, injuries, they're, you know, fluke events, they can happen to the best of players. And if Henry suffers an injury, I think Evans looks like the guy who would probably lead that backfield. And, you know, he's fast. He was productive in college. I would be interested to see him. And I think, you know, just like we saw last year where people kind of don't think that the guy who's the number two back um, behind these Uber studs really warrants ownership. You know, like no one really had Mike Davis because they were like, oh, he's behind Christian McCaffrey. He's going to get no playing time. I think it's going to be a similar thing with Darrington Evans, where he's going to be free in almost every league. Um, So that intrigues me because he's easy to acquire. And then Anthony McFarland, um, I think he kind of has like sneaky upside here because James Conner is going, I'm assuming he's played his last game with the Steelers. He's a free agent. So I'm assuming he's going to be gone. Uh, and, And then at that point, it is Benny Snell, and I'm not really taking into account, uh, I can't even remember his name, the pass-catching back who was a tight end in college. Jalen Samuels. Yeah, I'm not really even taking Jalen Samuel into account um, because they hardly ever use him. I think at that point, it's Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane. Uh, and McFarlane is the better receiving back, and I think Farland would be the clear number two there. And I think he would maybe have a chance of actually beating him out in training camp. And even if he doesn't beat Snell out in training camp, there's a chance that at some point during the season, he overtakes him. So out of like the deeper running backs in this class, um, McFarland and then Evans as a, a pure like late round handcuff. Those are the two guys who stand out most to me. Is there anyone who stands out to you? No, I think that you really hit all of them. I think Ahmed, you can make a, a case for, but I do think that people are able to see enough of him that it's not going to be one of those players that comes out of nowhere. Um, having said that, if the Dolphins do not add any other running backs in the draft, I think that I will be fairly interested in, in him because we did see both he and Gaskin have productive games in 2020, and I'm not really sure how much of a difference there is between the two of them in terms of actual ability. So I do think it's possible that we see a situation where both he and Gaskin get used to some degree next year. And Ahmed actually could be a player that you can use in your lineups. But I think an important thing to keep in mind here too, as we consider rookie running backs is at the running back position, if you don't produce early, your odds go down so precipitously year over year that already for a lot of these players, if they didn't see much action, things start to become a situation where, well, I guess where I'm going with this is in dynasty, any of these lower level guys, I don't think you should feel too obligated to hold on to because what we see happen so often is teams add running backs in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. They continue to do that in other years. And they're always just kind of looking for that next player to come down the line. So once you've had any opportunity and you haven't harnessed it, it starts to get real dicey about you getting back to a point where you can insert yourself into your offense. Yeah, I I think that's right. So yeah, for these, these flyers, you know, they either do it pretty quickly or they don't. Right. All right. So that actually takes us through everything that I had on the rookie running backs, just not as much to talk about here because there's fewer players uh, in comparison to the rookie wide receivers that we have. But I also think that there's fewer ones that look like they're going to be of consequence. So Matt, I want to ask you now about something that you recently posted on Twitter. As everybody knows, Matt has been doing an ask me anything daily for how long has it been been now? Has it been a year yet? 
No, no. Uh, I started in August. Okay. So you put out there that you are planning on taking all of these ideas that you've and questions that you've had and writing a collection of essays, if you will, uh, based yeah. on these questions and, and, and turning this into some sort of a book. I want to hear more about this. Uh, you, you pretty much described the thought that's the amount of thought that's gone into it. Um, yeah. So I, I get a ton of questions uh, in the AMAs. You know, a lot of them are, you know, very action focused, like, Hey, uh, who should I be starting this weekend? Or, you know, like, what is a bet you like this weekend? Something like that. And so obviously I'm not going to be covering stuff like that in the book, but you know, sometimes quite often I'll get questions that are more evergreen in nature. Uh, and you know, they really, they really range, you know, some of them are sports questions, like who are your like top five NBA players of all time. Uh, and then some of them are more like, what's your favorite food <laughs> or, you know, like, mm-hmm. but you know, and then some of them um, are kind of in-depth questions that I, I think deserve a longer response than what I can give uh, in one tweet or even like a series of tweets. Cause you know, like if one person's asking a question and I'm thinking like I'm devoting 15 to 30 minutes in any given AMA session, I don't want to spend too much time thinking about and answering any one question. So, um, you know, for the questions that are either a little more complicated or deserve more thought and more space, um, just take those, you know, write them, write them up, uh, and put them in like, I guess a collection of essays. Okay. Odds that you finish this this endeavor, where would you put those? Uh, 68%. Wow, that's actually pretty high, given your track record with books. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. well, that, that's why it's 68 instead of 79, you know? Okay. But um, yeah, because the thing is, this is actually like... This is I mean, easier though, right? Because you can do it in chunks. Yeah, no book is easy to write. But this is much easier to write than you know, something I've tried to write before, um, because you know any one thing doesn't need to be connected to the next thing, uh, and it, it can be written in chunks. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing to where like I, I think you don't like lose momentum if you take a day off and don't write Um, because you don't have to like keep the strand of everything in your brain. So yeah, uh, this, I like, I think I do finish it. I think the odds are actually higher than 68%. It's just a question is like how long it takes to finish it. But you know, like, of course I can make this as short as I want, you know? So uh, I think that enhances the likelihood that I do finish this because it could be a pretty short thing if I wanted, although I don't really see myself going that direction. That's, that's not my style. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it will probably end up being a kind of beefy thing. Like I think I'll probably need to write, um, a couple of, you know, like chapters or whatever, just to sort of feel where I am. And I'm imagining that some of the chapters will be longer. Some of them will be shorter. And then once I have some of them, you know, I can kind of think, okay, like I need to have like this amount that I have here multiplied by 20 or whatever it is, you know, just so I can kind of like feel what it is that would within this contained document feel fairly complete. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Now, is your wife aware of your plans here, seeing as she actually is a published author? Uh, yes, she she is aware. Um, I've talked with her about this project, although I don't know. I mean, she follows me on Twitter, so I mean, like, oh, I'm assuming right, right. she has seen this tweet. Um, but I mean, that's that's no guarantee. You know, I mean, like, we we live in the same house, and you know, it's not like she's ever listened to uh, like a podcast of mine or something. So, like, who, who knows? But I'm I'm sure she's she's seen this on Twitter, and and we've talked about it. Um, that reminds me that I do have something else to bring up on that front. But my wife, um always hears me talking and she never hears you and i whenever i do any editing it's normally um like out of the range where she can hear but she did hear you a couple weeks ago she did not know it was you and she's like why are you talking to funkhauser she thinks that you sound like uh, marty funkhauser from curb your enthusiasm yep okay this this is not good (laughs) i'm I'm not a fan of this (laughs) all right so i had to throw that out there but i also wanted to float out I have two topics that I feel like would make for good essays from you. Okay. The first one is what is something that is more or less considered an axiom 
in society that's actually a dangerous piece of advice. Mm, that's interesting. By the way, be sure to put this in a tweet. I did send this to you in a tweet, but I, 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 I have many ideas for these too, and, and th- but they're in the recesses of my memory now. I won't lose these. So if you're ever struggling for a topic for a chapter, you know where to go. So that's one of them. Okay. That's and, a good one. Thank I like you. that. Thank you. And the second one is what is something that you have discovered in your life that was completely counterintuitive and as a result of that helped to shape your worldview on more things than just that specific topic? Yeah, that is also a good question. Um, I have, I feel like I have like a sense of potential answers to that, but I don't, I don't want to say anything yet. Cause that's a, like, that's a big question that requires, you know, right. sustained thought. Right. Yes. No, I'm not yeah. looking for an answer Those now. Are good questions. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as more come into my mind, I will think about that. But what I might even do, Matt, perhaps I'll co-opt these questions, rush out my own book and get it out there. Except the fact that I don't have this following for the AMAs. So it would be, it, you, it would be rendered useless. That, Yep. If you do that, uh, I don't care at all. Like <laughs> these are your questions. If you, if you have answers to them, go for it. You know what I mean? Like I, if, I, if I, more I power don't. to you if you write the book. Yes. Well, if I had um, a lot more time than I currently have, I would try to work those in. But I don't see me writing any books in the uh, in the near future. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I haven't started either. So, I mean, like I've been collecting, I've been collecting thoughts. I've sort of been sorting through the, uh, the questions that I think I would want to include. So I've like been doing preparatory work, yep. you know, but like I haven't gotten to the point of like, okay, now I'm going to sit down and write these ideas. Like I've, I have outlined some of the ideas, yep. like making some notes of like, okay, this is the answer that I would probably want to provide to this question. And then think about how to build on it from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have time. I, I, I'm imagining because I don't have kids that I do have more time than you do, but it's not like I uh, am using that time right now to actually go through the process of writing a book. Right. Final thing I'll float out there too. And if, if you need, I will get this, I will crystallize this into some type of question, but I do think it would be very interesting to get some, some content in there that relates to your crazy period of preparation for the LSAT and then your eventual domination of it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, Dave, you need to, uh, write these questions down to make sure you don't lose them. Cause I know that they are, uh, buttressed safely in the recesses of your brain, but that's not enough. Like, <laughs> okay. you, you know, like we, we know that's not enough, but like, you need to write these down. All right. No. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll write it down. I will say though that, um, there's certain things that when I commit to memory, they don't go. And especially because I've said them. So it's really funny. My wife and I always get in this argument. She has a very good memory, but she always talks about like everything that happens in our life, like that she can be the only one that remembers it correctly. But I would say that like, she's really good at remembering uh, like numbers. So like there's a phone number, she has it down or like somebody's address or like facts, but like I have better episodic memory um, of like recalling dialogue from a show or like if we had a con, like if I like I'm in a conversation, remembering the details that somebody put out where I'm going with this is. So we always have this constant argument of basically like when something happens of whose memory is better and we both feel justified that our, uh, our, our memory is the correct one when really we know that memory is so fallible. We probably both have it wrong, but yeah, uh, I mean, so here, here's the thing, a couple of thoughts on this one, yep. if, if someone, uh, like if I were forced to, I could not recount the three questions that you just gave me. And that's mm-hmm. not to say, that's not to say that they were bad <laughs> questions. They were great questions. It's just like, that's the type of thing that my memory is not going to hold on to. Right. And I just like, I, I know that. Uh, and so maybe I sort of project that onto other people and I'm like, Hey, you need to write this down <laughs> now because this idea is going to be gone within a minute. So, uh, but what we should do is have like a, uh, a Google sheet where you just write these things in there. And like, we just, we share the document. Uh, so that, that is number one. Yep. Uh, and then number two, um, I can totally see having not those arguments, but those conversations, uh, with, uh, a spouse about memory because like, ultimately like that just seems to be like, 
the, the thing that you share the longest with the person you're in a lifelong partnership with. It's just sort of like these, these memories and you have your perspective on them. She has her perspective on them and like inevitably you're going to remember things differently. Yeah. Well, the funny thing now is that um, Elise is actually, she's been pretty reliable for a while, but she's almost four now. So like her memory of things, actually lots of times she'll like bring something up and we're like, Oh yeah, actually like she's right. So um, yes. pretty soon we're just going to defer to her. But um, that's that's a good idea. Yeah. In any event, uh, that does it for this episode of the Rotoviz flagship podcast. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF and at Matt F the Oracle. Thanks to the Action Network for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.